0: If you would be opening your Bibles to the book of uh, First Thessalonians, uh, chapter 4, and we're going to start about verse 13, which is where we ended up uh, last week. I promised at the end of the class last week that I was going to talk about the rapture. But as I've done some reading on it this week and, and kind of come to some conclusions about this stuff that, they, that the denominations talk about, I've decided I'm probably not going to give them... Um, as much attention as they would like for me to, I think. So um, how many of you are comfortable with the term dispensational premillennialism? Oh, so many hands up. Good, I don't even have to talk about it. All right, well, I'm not going to do a whole lot on it this morning. I'm going to read from uh, a chapter out of a dangerous. It's called, a book called Dangerous Isms. Yes, ma'am. Oh, I'm sorry. All right, tell me what dispensational premillennialism is oh that's what you need to know okay (laughs) all right Billy Graham Jack Van Imp Hal Lindsey the late great planet Earth names that are familiar to you or no? these are dispensational premillennialists Okay. I'm going to read something that Billy Bland wrote about premillennialism he's a gospel preacher but I'm going to tell you first Dispensational premillennialism says, dispensational premillennialism, I'm just going to call it DP, or PD, DP. When Christ came to earth, and the Jews crucified him, God said, I didn't realize this was going to happen. I thought they would accept my son. I thought they would all come to believe in the kingdom. And so God made a mistake. When Jesus came to the earth and died on the cross. And so he went back to heaven. And he sits on God's throne. He doesn't sit, on, he doesn't sit at the right hand as the Bible tells us he does. And so in times, certain times down through the years. God has said that he's going to return. Jesus is going to return. And so in 1843. This preacher told everyone that Christ was going to return. He had, had, a, he had talked with God, and, and God said that he was going to return for everyone to get ready. So they sat out on the hillside. God didn't return. And so the preacher said, Oh, I made a miscalculation. I'm sorry, I miscalculated that. He's really going to come in 1846. So they all gathered again in 1846 on the hillside. God didn't come back. Jesus didn't come back then. Time after time after time, people, you've, you've heard about these people, they sit on the rooftops. Y2K, that was supposed to be when Jesus returned. That was the the, the beginning of the millennium. And so this denominational dispensational premillennialism says that we are now living in a period of grace. There are seven dispensations that have come down through time. And I won't bother to read all, all seven of them to you, but we're now living in the age of grace according to them, the church age. These are the closing days of Christ's public ministry. This is when it started, until the second coming of Christ. And at that point in time, we will move into the kingdom period, or the kingdom dispensation. And so while it's taught that we're living in the age of grace, Billy Bland writes, When Christ comes back, he will descend and he will resurrect the the dead saints only. And they, along with the living saints, will be raptured to meet the Lord in the air. And this is the rapture. Now, so far, he's not too far off. That's basically what Paul is talking about here. Remember, Paul wrote this first Thessalonians letter to the church of Thessalonica. This is the very first letter that Paul ever wrote. Wrote in about 53 A.D. And so this was a question that was on the church at Thessalonica's mind, this this business about when was Christ coming back. More specifically, what about my father or my mother or my ancestor who had died previous to this, who was a member of the church, and what will they enjoy on the day when Christ returns? Well, the dispensational premillennialists take this and they use... the logic that they use is so flawed because they confuse Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. If you read those, one is about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., the other is about the second coming. Well, they just blend all that together, and they come up with this business of that, that these people will be transported to heaven, according to the First Thessalonian, the letter of the First Thessalonians that we're going to study here in just a minute. These people are going to be transported to heaven where they're going to live for seven years. At the end of the seven years, there's going to be a a period where the earth is divided into two, three-and-a-half-year periods. Now, where they're finding that in the Bible, not quite sure. In the first half of the seven years, all the Jews will return to Jerusalem and to Israel. The Old Testament temple will be rebuilt. Then there's going to be a world leader that arises that demands that the world worship him or them, or her, or whoever, just as a world leader. However, at the end of the first three and one-half years, he will be revealed to be what? Antichrist. So what they're doing is they're taking Old Testament prophecies concerning Christ's coming. They're taking New Testament stuff out of Matthew 24 and 25. They're taking stuff out of Revelation. They're pulling all of this, and you know what what a, a, a verse taken out of Context is what it's pretext. <coughs> They're combining all this together to make this to make this uh, to make this dispensational premillennialism. So, however, at the end of the first three and a half years, he will be revealed to be Antichrist. Anyone who does not worship him will be put to death. During the last three and one half years, there will be a great tribulation upon the world. All those converted during those seven years will be put to death when it appears that the Antichrist is completely victorious. Then Christ will descend with the raptured saints and a literal battle of Armageddon, or the correct pronunciation is Armageddon, but a literal battle of Armageddon will take place at which time Christ will be victorious over the Antichrist and he will establish the Davidic throne in the city of Jerusalem despite the fact that the Bible clearly states that Christ will never put foot back on this earth again. And all those who who are living in the world will then be part of a world rule of righteousness for a literal 1,000 years. Millennialism. All those who were converted to Christ during the tribulation and were killed will be resurrected just prior to the 1,000, reign, 1,000 year reign. And at the end of this 1,000 years, the wicked will be resurrected and the great white throne judgment will take place, at which time the wicked will be cast into hell and the righteous will be taken into place. And that's, and that's all I'm going to tell you about premillennialism. If you want to know about it, there are books and books and books and books out there on it, and you can, you can go and read them. I'm not going to waste your time or mine talking about that. So, anyway, that gives you a glimpse into, into dispensational premillennialism. It is obviously error. It does not, uh, it does not in any way comport to what, the, to what the Scriptures talk about. And so as we begin to talk about the second coming of Christ... The reason that the Thessalonican church was confused about this was they had a question about what about my relative who was a Christian and died? What will happen to them? And it's a logical question for someone to ask, especially this early in Paul's ministry and writing this book. This was a question that would continue to come up in church after church. People were concerned about, you know, what happens to what happens to those who are dead, who are dead? And Paul does not use the term dead. What does he use the term? They are what? They're asleep. Okay? So, Jesus even used that term in Jairus' daughter. Remember? He said, She is not dead, she sleeps. Okay? So, <clears throat> as we go through this, we want to look at this uh, return of the Lord, and we want to walk through it in such a manner that you completely understand what's going to happen now we've talked about this many times before the only thing i can't tell you is the the when can't tell you when it's going to happen it could happen in the next it could happen in the next moment it could happen in the next breath it could not happen again for 100 years 200 years 1000 years i don't know we don't know deuteronomy 29:29 the, the 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 secret things belong to god there are things that we are told, there are things that we are not told. And for us to take something that we're not told and make something out of that is is not something we're supposed to do. So we're going to talk about what is going to happen based on scripture. But there are things that we can't answer and the when is one of those things. All right? So let's read let's read these verses and then let's talk about what's going to happen. Tying in other verses as we go along um, to our discussion. And this is all the premillennial stuff, so I'm gonna set it aside. All right, verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. Or one of the versions says, we do not want you to be, we don't want you ignorant, brethren, to not be informed, to not understand, to not have a full grasp of what's going on with this concept of the dead who are sleeping. All right? So we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, concerning those who are sleeping. So he's answering a specific question that the Thessalonican church has asked about people in the church who are dead, who have died. Because they died before the Lord came back. And the Lord hasn't come back yet. Although some say he came back in 70 AD, and that's the Max Max King heresy. There are others who say he's returned at various times in secret. Well, as we're going to find, the return of the Lord is going to be the noisiest event that's ever taken place in the history of in the history of the world. It's not going to be in secret. You know, you see the bumper stickers on, I don't know if you've ever seen them. I've seen them once or twice on cars. In the event of the rapture, this car will be unoccupied. You ever seen that bumper sticker? Well... That's, that's, not, that's, a sec- that's a secret. That's, the, the, this car is going to be, you know, you're going to be in bed with, with, your, with your mate and you're going to roll over and your mate's just not going to be there. Or the pilot that's piloting your plane is going to be taken and, you're, and the plane's going to crash and, and all this is going to ensue. The, the, the Lord's coming is not going to be a secret. So, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, concerning those who are sleeping. That you not be grieved as the rest who have no hope. This is a really, really interesting concept to think about. As a Christian, we know at various times in our lives we're going to lose loved ones. There are those here who have lost loved ones. They've lost husbands and wives. They've lost children. But if those husbands and wives and those children were a member of God's household... He's telling the Thessalonican church, there's not a reason for you to not have any hope. How many times have you heard on the television, this famous movie star died. And you know a lot about this famous movie star who lived a, lived a very sinful life. But yet at the funeral, oh, we know that person's in heaven now. Well, no, we don't. I'm not, I'm not his or her judge. But if you're living a sinful life, you know, my Bible tells me you're not going to be in heaven. And so what the Thessalonican church wanted was a reassurance that those who are sleeping. And if we look at Luke 16, where are those people sleeping? Who are where are those members of the church both then and now? Where are those members of the church, faithful members of the church who've died in Christ? Where are they at at this present time? Where are they? Luke 16. They're in Abraham's bosom. Luke 16 gives us the definitive answer via our Lord's own words about what happens when you close your eyes in this life and open your eyes in the next life. Okay, the rich man died and he opened his eyes where? In torment. Lazarus died, and he opened his eyes in the bosom of Abraham. So when you die, there are one of two places you will go. You will either go to Abraham's bosom, or you will go to what's called the place of torment, Hades, the realm of the dead. This whole, this whole area, both Abraham's bosom and uh, the place of torment, is, is the Hadean realm. It's the waiting place for when Christ returns again. So the Thessalonican church is asking about those who are currently sleeping. Those who are awaiting our Lord's return. And so Paul makes it very clear to them that we should not sorrow for those who are members of the church. Those who are Christian brothers and sisters as those who have no hope. The world outside of these doors, the world outside of these doors does not have any hope. I've been to many Funerals for people who friends of mine who were not members of the church and their lives were portrayed as heaven bound. When some of them I know live some of the most hellish existences that you could imagine. And the same thing goes for these these Hollywood types and these rich people who die and everyone's. Oh, they're in heaven now. Well, I'm not their judge. But that's not what my Bible tells me. But we're talking specifically about members of the church who have passed away, who are now sleeping which is, the, which is another word for they've passed on, they're dead. They're waiting in the bosom of Abraham. The take-home message for Paul here from Paul here is that we should think differently about death. We should think differently about those who have passed on, in that they are sleeping and they're awaiting the Lord's return. Notice that he does not say anything about those who are, unsaved. He doesn't say anything about sinners here. He's talking about those who've gone to sleep that that the Christians there not be grieved as those who have no hope. And then he says if we believe that Jesus died and arose, so also God will bring with him the ones who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So faith in God, according to Paul, tells us That if we believe in the resurrection, that is, that is the the risen Savior who said, if I go away, what will he do? He said, I'll come again. He didn't say I should. I might. If you're lucky on a given day, I might come back. He said, I will come again. That where you are, that where I am, there you may be also. That is the hope. That we have as Christians. That those who have fallen asleep. Will be resurrected. And will be changed. Now. People spend a lot of time talking about the change. Paul talks about the change. He talks about the fact that we'll be changed. Everyone blink. Everyone blink. That's how quickly we'll be changed. We'll put off corruption. We'll put off this corrupt body. And we'll put on incorruptible in the blink of an eye, will be changed at the second coming. And so he says, first of all, if you believe Jesus died and arose, that's the the foundational principle that all Christians have, that Jesus' resurrection, we live because he died. And we can live with him eternally because he arose. The death of Christ the single most important event that has ever occurred in the history of mankind. I don't I disagree with my brethren who say the resurrection is the most important thing that's happened. If it were not for his death, there would be no resurrection. But he arose from the dead and he took his place at the right hand of the Father. And he sits there as our mediator. He is the mediator between God and man, the Hebrew writer tells us. I'm sorry? That's right. And we're going to get to that. We're going to get to the sequence of things. Always oh, out in front of me with my notes. I'm just, I'm just going to lay my notes over here. And just, just look at them. All right. So what's going to happen? We know everything but the when. If we believe that Jesus died and arose, if you have that hope, if you have that faith, if you have that as the foundational building block of your Christian walk, if we believe that he died and arose, so also... God will bring with him the ones who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So what is he telling the Thessalonican brethren? He's telling them, you don't need to worry about these who have fallen asleep that were in Christ. Because Christ arose, they're going to rise. Now we get into the details. This we say to you by the Lord's instructions. Paul is not making this up. Paul is not getting this secondhand from somebody else. Who's he getting it from? He's getting it from the Lord. This we tell you by the Lord's instructions. So the Lord is telling him this is what's going to happen. And you need to live your life in view of this happening. This is how you should live your life. Anticipating this return. We who are living. We who are living, who remain when the Lord comes, will by no means go ahead of those who have fallen asleep. Who's going to rise first? Not just the dead, but the dead, in, the dead in Christ. They're going to rise first. Right, right. That was, that was the big concern. They didn't know what was going to happen to them. They knew that Jesus would return. They'd go to be with Jesus. But what about my, my brother, my son, my, my daughter, my father, my mother? They were Christians. They were faithful Christians, and they've died. What's going to happen to them? This is what he's telling them, and it's also, he's telling us also because we've got loved ones who are asleep. We all have loved ones who are asleep. My parents are asleep. My grandparents are asleep. Raised in the church of Christ their whole lives, they're asleep. I have that hope. Going to be first. That's right. They're not only going to miss it, but they're going to be first. So those who have died in Christ, those who sleep. Well, what about, what about, those, who, what about those who didn't accept Christ? When are they going to rise? Well, Matthew 25 Turn over to Matthew 25. Jesus tells us in Matthew 25. If I can get out of Mark and get over to Matthew. All right, let me look at my notes because I can't find it. Uh, Matthew 25. And, of course, I didn't write down where in Matthew 25. Is it 31? Okay, thank you very much when the Son of Man comes in his grandeur and all his angels with him. Okay, that's what we're talking about in 1 Thessalonians. Then will he sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will, he, will, uh, he will separate them as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. I'm looking for the one where Jesus says at the, at the return of the Lord, at the, at the shout, all those who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And that's not where I can. No, I don't think it's a parable of the talents. I'm sorry. I, I should have written the exact verses down. Anyway, all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And they shall all come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of death. Right? So, the Thessalonican brethren are not worried about what's going to happen to the sinners when Christ comes back. That's not the focus. The focus is the dead in Christ who are asleep. And so Paul tells them, those of us who are living, who remain when the Lord comes, and this applies to us as well today. This is as as valid today as it was in 53 A.D. when he wrote this. This is how it's going to happen. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then we who are alive will come second. The Lord himself, verse 16. Lord's not going to send anybody in his place. He's not going to send an archangel. He's not going to send anybody. The archangel is going to be attendant, but the archangel is not going to come back. The Lord himself is going to come back. So Jesus is going to appear. How is he going to appear? Okay, he will, he will descend in the clouds. What did, what, did the, what did the angel tell the apostles in Acts 1? This same Jesus, whom you've seen go up into the clouds, will return in like manner. So we know he's going to come with the clouds. What else do we know? He's going to come with a shout, a shouted command. He's going to sh- he's going- there's going to be a shout, a shouted command. Whether that command is arise, whether that command is whatever the Lord chooses to say when he returns, it's going to be a shouted command. And it's going to be a shouted command that's going to be heard by every single person on this planet don't doubt my God don't doubt my Lord that he can't do that because he can there's gonna be a shout it's gonna be audible you're gonna hear it wherever you are whatever you're doing whatever you're in the midst of cooking a meal watching television mowing your yard whatever you're gonna hear a shout And then what are you going to hear at the voice of the the shouted command at the voice of the archangel and at the sound of God's trumpet. Right. What's the significance of God's trumpet? We don't know the significance of God's trumpet because we're not good Old Testament students. What was the sound of the trumpet to signify? Sorry. Call to worship. It was the it was this on Mount Sinai. It was called the Theophany. It meant that something was coming, the word was coming, or the message was coming from God. Right. Right. There's going to be a whole lot. There's going to be a whole lot going on right now, right then, when that happens. There's going to be an audible shout. There's going to be the sound of the trumpet. There's going to be the voice of the archangel. The dead in Christ. Notice he didn't say just the dead. He said the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are living. If you are fortunate enough to be alive, if you're fortunate enough to be dead, you get to come out first. But if you are still alive when the Lord returns, you'll be changed just as the dead will be changed. Paul said you'll be changed at the trump At the sound of the trump, Paul said you'll be changed in the the twinkling of an eye. In the blink of an eye, you'll be changed. We'll put off corruptible, we'll put on incorruptible, and we will watch. There is recognition of our dead loved ones in heaven. There is is recognition. The Bible speaks to it. We'll be changed. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive will meet the Lord. How will we meet the Lord? Then we who are living, the ones who remain, will be caught up together with them where? In the clouds. He's coming with the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Why? On earth. Would anyone say that Jesus is coming back to this earth to set up another thousand year reign of a kingdom that displeased God so much in the first place? When the Hebrews set up the Israelite nation, they demanded a king so that they could be like everyone around them. And God gave them what they wanted. And they did nothing but try his patience, make him mad, cause bad things to happen. And yet these dispensational premillennials say, oh, God's going to come back down to earth. and He's going to set up another thousand year king. Maybe, we'll get it, maybe God will get it right this time. Yeah, the door's wide open when he can. Yeah, when you when you can def- figure that the first time Christ came, well, it got all messed up, and so just snatch Jesus back to heaven, and, and we'll wait until another, another better time, and we'll try again. Well, that's that's not the God I worship. So then, we who are living, the ones who remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be. He's not coming back secretly, secretively. He's not coming back hiding from people. So Paul's argument for the Christian is that everything we do is grounded in the hope of that historical fact that Christ died and he rose from the dead. Right. The reality that he rose again gives us that hope. If he rose and he told us that we would rise, too. Then we take take him at his word. The promise in this chapter is only on behalf of those who are in Christ. If you are outside of Christ, you cannot claim these benefits. You will hear his voice if you're outside of Christ. If you're listening to us today on the Internet or whatever, you're not a member of of Christ's household, his church. you You will hear his voice and you will come forth from the tomb. But your judgment will be much different than those who are in Christ. And so the promise is on behalf of those who are in Christ. The promise of His return is an absolute certainty. We know that by faith. He will come again. Why stand here gazing at the Lord as He went away in the clouds? He will come. He will come again in like manner. And we have the explanation of everything that is going to happen. The the living will not precede the dead. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, Paul says. And it's interesting that he says we who are alive. Did he anticipate Jesus' return during his lifetime? Did he anticipate Jesus' return during his lifetime? Yes, he did. He didn't know when Christ was going to come back. Just as you don't know when Christ is going to come back. Will he come back in your lifetime? I don't know. But we who are alive, whenever that may be, there may be a completely different teacher standing up here. There may be a completely different audience as we've all passed from this life, and Christ may, rebe- Christ may then return. But he will come back. That's an absolute certainty. And so then it is incumbent upon us to do what? Be ready. To be ready. And parable after parable after parable that Jesus taught, he taught about the the necessity to be ready. Constantly ready, constantly in prayer, constantly in study. You've got to be ready. And then the last words. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And that's the take-home message right there. That's the take-home message of this whole portion of this chapter is, does this message comfort you? Are you in a place in your life, are you in a place in your walk with God, that these words give you comfort? Or do these words provide terror to your soul, knowing that you're not in a position that you need to be in? Yes, we have God's grace. Yes, we all sin. Yes, we all fall short. Yes, we can't even touch the hem of the garment when it comes to being like Christ. Yes, we know all that. His grace is sufficient for us. Not sufficient for us to live a life of evil. But when we fall, when we stumble, his grace is sufficient. Remember Paul asked him three times, take this take this." that's wrong with me take it away and god said no my grace is sufficient for you and if it was sufficient for paul it should be sufficient for us okay was that the first or the second bell oh thank you i heard it today all right so closing thoughts on this Right, and he had talked about that earlier in the chapter. He said, you know, you need to be, you need to be walking your walk, but you also, need to be, you also need to be getting out and doing work and, and doing the things that you need to do, just as we need to. There's no different message here for, for them than there is for us. You know, you don't anticipate the Lord's return, and you go up and sit on your roof and just kind of wait for him and don't do anything. No, you need to be busy living your life, working, working and you know, studying, praying, keeping your, you know, keeping your Christian walk. So, here are the facts. The Lord will descend. This is different than so-called other comings, when people have predicted Christ to come and and he hasn't come. There will be visual and audible phenomena that accompany his coming. One writer said that it will be the noisiest event that's ever happened in the history of the world. Because everyone will hear it. Every single person. The dead will hear it. Every eye will see him including who? Every eye will see him including those who those who nailed him to the cross including those who killed him. Everyone's going to see him. This is no secret. Everyone's going to see him including those who killed him. The dead will rise first. These faithful spirits, immortal bodies will be changed, caught up to meet in the Lord. This is where the dispensationalists say this is the rapture. This, this will happen in secret. Well, not according to my Bible. It's not going to happen in secret. It's going to happen where everybody can see it. Those who are caught up will be with the Lord in this heavenly manner, in these in these changed bodies or this 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 uh, this change that happens in the twinkling of an eye, and there we will be with Christ forever. There's no seven years, three and a half years, thousand years. When it comes. The last day means that, just that, okay? The last day means just that. It's the last day, all right? So if we go over to Peter, what's going to happen to the earth? It's going to be, the flood's going to come again. It's going to wash, the, it's going to wash everything away, right? It's going to be a flood. Again, another flood. No? God promised he's never going to destroy the earth by water again. This time he's going to destroy it how? It's going to be fire, The elements will melt with fervent heat. There's no earth left for them to come back and reign a thousand years on. It's not going to be here anymore. The earth is going to burn up with fervent heat. This planet will be destroyed. God's promised it. We don't have to worry about that. Because our hope as a Christian says, we're going to be with the Lord forever. We're going to be somewhere else. We're going to be changed and so we'll ever be with the Lord. Jesus will not be able to return to a terrestrial home because there will be no terrestrial home for him to return to. Our new, our new home will be a new Jerusalem, according to Revelation, where the church will be with God forever. There's comfort in knowing this. Knowledge gives us comfort. If you don't believe that this will happen, then it gives you no comfort because you don't believe it. But if you believe this, as you should through faith, that the Lord will come again and the onus is upon us to be ready. Be ready. All right. Questions or comments before we go into chapter five? Uh, Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Yeah. It says. Yeah. Not well, sure, if it groans waiting for the resurrection, if it, I think it, but I think he says something to that effect, that the earth groans. Um, I don't know, here lately, you know, I've been, been thinking about it, and I know that was the second bell. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about this next week. Because he moves right into chapter 5, and then he answers the when question. So he answers the when question. He says, you know, the Lord's going to come as a thief in the night, you know. You turn on your burglar alarm every night because you don't know if a thief's going to try and break into your house. You don't know that. You go six, eight, ten years, and nothing ever happens. Then one night, bang, you get broken into. You didn't know when that person was coming. Same with the Lord's return. He's going to return as a thief in the night. Next week, we'll talk about that.